Broadcasting live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Anybody seen the white flash? Live from Studio C, Senor, deep within the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Entormation Complex, this is the Armstrong and Getty Show, live and in color. On this, I should know, my anniversary was the other day, 16th of June, the year of our Lord, 2021. This morning, under the tutelage of general managers, two of them, in this corner, 65 years old. Oh, wait a minute. There he is. We can get back to that in a second. Hey, everybody. Hey, Jack. I was stuck in the elevator, so they're doing construction downstairs. They'd loaded up all three elevators with the big aluminum things. Oh, no, no, no. That's bad form. And I said, am I going to be able to uh, go up to work here at some point? They said, "Uh, eventually. I said, I I need to get up there right now. So So which one guy said out of the side of his mouth? How about the stairs, fat ass? But well, you take you the know. stairs with your elevator. Yeah. Your big aluminum thing, whatever it is. Anyway, yeah, I wonder what those odd things are. Big, long aluminum things. I don't know what they're doing. I don't have the slightest. Could be renovating office space because... Automated workers. <laughs> they're building automated workers out of aluminum. Mm-hmm. Because there's How aluminum. was your weekend? Light. Boy, this coffee is good. <laughs> What a cooler talk among robot workers. I have a case of the Mondays. (laughs) How is the latest update treating you? Hardly working. (laughs) Then they fight and roll around the elevator. The the robot employees run around. I can't stand cliches. They roll around on the floor. One robot pinches the other's piston, gets hauled into HR. One one robot does the other robot smile. No. You smile. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, I assume our general manager was the summit or not? Well, yes, in this corner, 65 years old, uh, riding horseback, uh, of a shirtless uh, uh, NHL all-star Vladimir Putin. And in this corner, representing the United States, a guy who was a senator for a long time, mm. Joe Biden. So I watched the handshake. Um, I thought Biden was too smiley. You know, I hate to be one of those kind of people, but uh, I thought he was too smiley. Mm, body language segment. I liked when Obama, when he met with Putin that last time, full-on stern face the entire time, which I think is perfectly appropriate. You're meeting with a murderer. I don't think there's any need to kind of put on a smiley face. We're world leaders. We're going to work things out. I don't think that that doesn't make sense to me at all. What I do don't know think? unless it's a unless it's a show of confidence. It's a show. I'm not intimidated by you. How you doing? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I yeah, if if you're going, rrr, 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 maybe that uh, maybe that shows uh, he's already got your goat. Well, I don't know. I feel like you got a murderer doing whatever he wants to do on the world stage, and look, the world leaders still have to smile at me. I think it's the other way around. Well, it could be that Biden is part of the long line of American leaders who thinks they can charm or persuade or outsmart Putin, which is just a, a, it's a dry hole, man. So they're going to meet for four or five hours, just the two of them? I can't even imagine a four or five hour meeting. They're playing Minecraft for like two of those hours. 
I, I, I seriously, if we had a four or five hour meeting today where it's just like two or three people, I think, oh, my God. Yeah. How am I going to stay awake? How am I going to pay attention? I have a feeling it's a meeting and a lunch, and then they, they break for a while. They confer with their aides and the rest of it, and it all has to be translated, too, which slows the pace oh, considerably. How's an old man like Biden going to stay uh, stay tuned into everything for four or five hours? Well, every break, they're going to give him a, Michael, do you have it handy? What are they going to give him every break? They give him a big, fat yeah. shot in the ass. and There it is, right there. Well, if if, if uh, Trump was right that Biden does get a the, the shot or a pill or something like that to help with his brain, they are going to give it to him several times today, there's no doubt. Oh, and, yeah. then, and then after the four- to five-hour meeting, they're going to walk out and each hold their own um, press conference. So Putin certainly will be a gem, and everybody will be comparing the two uh, uh, takes on the day if they're radically different. Yeah, well, we can uh, discuss this at length in a little while if you want. I've been reading and thinking about it a great deal, and I am not optimistic at all. Reading and thinking. Yes, the old read and think. The um, Sometimes I'll just read mindlessly like one of our robot coworkers. But this time I actually engage the brain. <laughs> it's uh, teamwork that makes the dream work, whether you're human beings or a robot workforce. And that's why we introduced everybody to the squad. There's our technical director, Michelangelo, pressing buttons, flipping toggles, pulling levers. How are you this morning, Michael? I'm doing pretty good. I guess at the meeting, Putin unveiled his I'm not corn pop, but I'm a bad dude mm-hmm. t-shirt that he wore. Mm-hmm. You know, so. <laughs> That'd be a pretty good one. <laughs> hey, but I guess Jill Biden, Jill Biden is going to be there uh, propping up Joe. Here, here's a clip. Joe, pay attention. There you go. Just every once oh, in a boy. while. Joe, oh, pay boy. attention. Oh, boy. So the Russian press. Yes, dear. The Russian press corps got all rowdy and loud during Biden's kind of opening statements there and drowned him out, which uh, I don't know if that was on purpose at the, at the bidding of uh, Putin or, or not. I have no idea. Wow, I missed that. That's, oh, yeah. that's rude. Yeah. Wow. Not cool. There is uh, Positive Sean, whose smile lights up the room. How are you, Sean? Doing quite well. Uh, found myself in a bit of a lull for uh, lull of uh, TV things to watch. Uh, the, the new Loki shows. Did out. you watch Loki? Oh yeah, a uh, big big fan. Yeah, it, we liked it. it I, I thought it was really good. Scratches me in uh, all the places I itch for uh, for the those sort of uh, silly, uh, overly serious about a, a silly topic sort of, of of stories that I just absolutely love. It is that I watched it with my son. That's my justification. I don't know about Sean's. Back to Sean. No, I watched it by myself <laughs> with uh, just because I really wanted to. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but. Uh, so to, to fill some of the other time, the NBA playoffs, there's not as many games going on this night. I've started to rewatch an old favorite that I uh, I watched when it was live on TV, but not really since the whole streaming binge-watching era. A show called Justified. It's, uh, it, it is very much feels like a modern Western. It's a, uh, it's a U.S. Marshal going back to his hometown in Kentucky and dealing with the... Uh, all the problems that arise when you're trying to enforce the law in the place that you grew up with, with people who have gone on mm. various different branching paths in their lives. Um, but a fantastic show. Uh, uh, Timothy Oliphant and Walton Goggins star in it. And uh, if you haven't seen that show and you're looking for something to watch, tons of seasons, uh, no shortage of... Bring uh, the Sean Gong out. All right, Justified's a good show. We get it. Uh, hmm? g- g- Google Goggins? Who's that? Nobody's heard of him. Walton what? Goggins. I've got the uh, treasure, the, the Sean Gong right there. I did watch the uh, some of the Nets game uh, with uh, who they play Milwaukee Bucks last night. What a comeback! Unbelievable. Thought they're going to go down three two. Kevin Durant with one of the greatest performances in NBA playoff history. Incredible. Wow. Unfortunately, not in a Warriors jersey. 
Um, I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty on this. It is How Did It Already Get to Be Wednesday, June 16th, the year 2021. We're Armstrong and Getty, and we approve of this program. The boss is emailing me at 1030 at night. What about work-life balance? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Radiotron 3000, who will replace me? All right, let's begin the show now. Officially, according to FCC rules and regulations, here we go at Mark. We have a saying, don't be mad at the mirror if you're ugly. Was this that? Was Putin it, again? When did Putin say that? That was during uh, the interview the other day when uh, the reporter was saying, Biden said to you that you're a murderer. How do you or something? So that was just another part of that interview. Wow. So we, we got the a, rubber glue thing. We no. have a saying, don't be mad at the mirror if you're ugly. We have a saying, don't be mad at the mirror if you're ugly. What the hell is that? Come on. Wow. Those Ruskies. Durant, a point shy of 50, 17 rebounds and 10 assists. And like yeah. 25 of those points were in the fourth quarter as they were down I wish 17. the NBA wasn't dead to me. No something way. else. Uh, how's mailbag look? Oh, it's nice. It's very good. Got a great freedom-loving quote of the day. It's a challenge. Take the freedom-loving challenge. Awesome. And I know Joe has analysis of the Putin-Biden summit that he's anxious to get to. Eh, eventually. Um, and all the other news of the day, because there is other news of the day we'll catch up on right here. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We're talking about this the other day. Polls show that a growing issue, political issue in America, soon to be number one, and number one a lot of places already, is the crime problem we've got. So crime had disappeared as a political issue, and now it's uh, number one with a bullet. A lot of places around the country and growing everywhere else. We're going to talk to Bill Bratton. You remember him? He used to run the NYPD back in the day. He's got a new book out. He's got some ideas on what we can do about crime rising all across America. I'm a huge fan of Bill Bratton. He has so little BS to him. I don't. He has no BS to him. He is just utter realism, and I, I love his style too. So we'll talk to him in just a couple of minutes. Here's your freedom loving quote of the day from Emma Goldman way back in the day. Wow. People have only as much liberty as they have the intelligence to want and the courage to take. Communist wow. Emma Goldman with our freedom-loving quote of the day. You know, she wasn't an yeah, anarchist uh, communist, but uh, she just saw freedom differently than I do. Sure. But I think she's right. It takes intelligence and courage. You can't just assume it will happen. No doubt. And then I put her in jail and had her executed. But thank you for the wisdom, Emma. Mailbag. She was an Emma when Emma wasn't cool. Right. Yeah, you're right. Every third kid you run into is an Emma. What was the name of the kid? My son works in retail. He's trying to, well, yeah, he probably won't forever, but um, ran into a little girl whose name was Woodstrom or... Woods Sanelia or something something to do with the woods. It was a very hippie situation there, but my niece, folks, don't get too creative with your name, your my, kids' names. My niece Madison was in a sorority with five other Madisons. <laughs> the wow. same sorority. Wow. Wow. Uh, it wasn't in Madison, Wisconsin, was it? No. Okay. 
Uh, let's see. The correspondent, uh, Tom in Vegas, writes, took your advice today. I was chatting with a friend sitting in a local park when an older Asian fellow strolled by wearing a mask. I asked if he had been vaccinated. When he told me he had, I asked politely why he was wearing a mask. I said that I'd heard the CDC say it's unnecessary and could actually do more harm than good. He didn't really answer, just nodded nicely, continued on. Five minutes later, he walked by again because he was doing laps. I noticed the mask was no longer covering his nose. A warm feeling of smugness, smugness washed over me. <laughs> Knowing my words had at least a partial effect. Another five minutes, he passes again, only wearing the chin diaper. So chalk up one less effing moron, thanks to you guys. The warm wow. feeling of smugness. Uh, I kind of hate that he said that out loud. I have no need to talk people out of their masks, but I am curious. It is curious. Well, since our life's work really is understanding the people of the United States, how they relate to the government, how they relate to each other, it's an enormous mystery to me. Or, or at least just such a strange disconnect, I want to know more about it. You have towns, liberal towns in America where the majority of people who are alone out of doors are wearing masks. I know, I know, I hear you. In like 48 U.S. states, you're saying, well, certainly 45. You're saying, wait, what? Now is this, a, again, is this a rerun? Is this a March 2020? No, right now, June 2021. Uh, in my ongoing effort to please nobody, I think a lot of you uh, should have worn masks when it was necessary and didn't. And now there are a whole bunch of people wearing masks that don't need to. It's weird. Mm. Mm. Uh, let's see. Here's Brian from Santa Rosa, longtime correspondent. Uh, Jack Joe, I'm hoping Biden has it in him to get over on Putin. We all know Putin owns him. After all, he's the big guy. Hmm? Sad how the story Biden of taking money from China and Russia has gone away, and Putin can run tape of Biden making a fool of himself and America. You think that's, that's not very happen? optimistic? No, it's not. No, no, no. That is not an optimistic view of the, the, the summit. It's not a summit. It's a meeting, which is going on right now. Are you going to explain the difference between a summit and a meeting? I don't know point? the difference. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. Matthew writes, guys, amazing frontline on the plight of the Uyghurs on PBS. Stumble across it. It's very good. China is truly an evil entity in the world. Thank you for your stand against tyranny and reporting the truth about China. You make me proud to be a longtime A&G listener. Thank you, Matthew. That's a high compliment. Uh, China is unspeakably evil. Communism China is, is evil. asshole. I can't yeah, imagine. It's a more succinct way to put it, yeah. I can't imagine how slow and, uh, uh, what's the right word? Cumbersome. It's not the right word, but the conversation would be with somebody where you'd have to do the translator thing. That would be so oh, yeah. weird because you wouldn't know, like, if you're watching their facial expressions, which 93% of communication is nonverbal or something like that, something in the 90s. Uh, if most communication is nonverbal, so you're looking at them trying to pick a verbal cues, but you don't know, like, is that verbal? Is that physical cue from before, or for the first part of my sentence, or the right. last part of my sentence? Or I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, his eyes would flash, and yeah. then you get the answer like forty-five seconds later. And then, uh, was he mad about that part or that part? <laughs> I'd be very yeah. weird. That would be weird. Uh, let's see. Longtime listener and a friend of Armstrong in Getty writes TC. It seems you took issue with NPR having a psychologist on to address worries associated with people not wearing masks outside. Well, I agree that some people's worries and not wearing a mask might be irrational. Uh, some might be rational. Then they get, you're getting into the somebody just had surgery. That's one yeah, out of 5,000 right, right. of people wearing a mask in liberal America. I, I don't at, mind you pointing out, but I was at the Safeway last night. Every homo sapien in there was wearing a mask. Crazy. Years ago, I read the book, quote, uh, The Culture of Fear, 
on how media, public figures, politicians stoke the public's fears for personal gains. It's no wonder that many people throughout this great nation are confused on what to fear and what not to. This is especially true with the COVID, uh, messages confusing, etc. Um, okay, you know, that's probably enough of that message. And I appreciate the thoughts, and it's it's not a a bad note. And if I was going to add one more, okay, you got kind of a point note, it would be that, you know, I uh, we are news junkies. We spend lots and lots of time gathering information. And so I'm usually up to date, literally, the day the CDC or the NIH or, or, or Fauci says something or there's a major scientific paper in the Atlantic or whatever, and you got to allow for people being kind of behind. But there's no explanation for 75% of people in these lefty towns still being masked. No. no. I mean, because in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, uh, Vanity Fair, for God's sake. Common sense. Uh, well, right, right. Just you are vaccinated successfully against a disease, so why are you wearing a mask against the disease? Yeah, you're right. It's 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 tribalism. It's not recent surgeries. It's tribalism. So Bill Bratton used to run the NYPD, biggest police force in America, and he's uh, knows a lot about crime. He's been at it many many years. He's got his memoir out. We're going to talk to him about the rise in crime all across the country. I wonder if he's seen the video out of San Francisco where the people just clear off the shelves there at the Walgreens and walk out the door, and nobody does anything about it. Wow, if he hasn't seen that one, he's seen ones and there's some like it. So that conversation coming up next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. the summit coming up um (laughs) some really funny body language stuff out there from the press because they got nothing else to say they're covering Uh one of the biggest events in the world but they've got nothing to say yet so it's all everybody's a body language expert so we'll get into that coming up (laughs) reading tea leaves i see well what a pleasure this is to talk to bill bratton bill was the commissioner of the boston police department in the 90s commissioner of the new york city police department chief of los angeles police as well and his new book is perhaps the perfect book for our times the profession a memoir of community race and the arc of policing in america bill bratton bill how are you sir Doing very well. It's uh, great to be talking to you on the West Coast. I had seven great years there at the LAPD, so it's uh, always nice to reconnect. Awesome. Um, So I noticed the other day how crime is climbing the charts like a hit record in terms of a topic, a political topic. 75% of Americans believe crime is worse today than it was a year ago, and for their own local area where they live, a majority, 54% of people say crime is worse than it was a year ago. After decades of crime going down, it's going up, and people's perception of it also. Uh, Well, first of all, do you agree with that, and what's to be done? Certainly agree with it. What I'm surprised about is that it's not 100% for both categories. That uh, What had happened that uh, beginning in the 90s, we began a crime reversal turnaround that uh, for 30 years America was getting safer. There were certainly spots that were not, but New York City, my home city, Homicides down 90%, overall crime 80%, overall crime in America down 40%. Many of the cities that you broadcast into uh, were doing pretty well over that 25, 30-year period of time. But last couple of years, it's uh, 
uh, turned around dramatically. What's different this time is how fast it's happened. And people didn't expect that we were focused on the coronavirus. And now that the virus is subsiding, this new virus is moving to center stage. And it's going to be as difficult as the coronavirus to deal with. Well, there's a hot video making the rounds on social media yesterday out of San Francisco because they have decriminalized crime in San Francisco. You had a, a guy clearing off the shelves at a Walgreens into a trash bag, getting on his bike and riding out the door without oh, anybody God. doing anything about it. I don't know if you saw that. Did not see that, but it's just uh, one of a slew of videos in the sense of the lawlessness that our politicians have created in state after state, city after city, where basically prosecutors won't prosecute for shoplifting. So police are not going to make arrests for it. Store owners are beside themselves. And so uh, how can you have a society where there's not punishment for wrongdoing, uh, whether it's minor, like shoplifting, but in the sense of minor shoplifting, if you own a store, it's not minor to you. Uh, and then it just encourages more egregious behavior. That character guaranteed he'll be back in a week with a bigger shopping bag. And uh, because nothing's going to happen to him. What do you think led to the election, especially on the West Coast, of some of these far-left uh, DAs, uh, Chesso Bodine and, and, and his sort? Um, is it just that crime had gotten so low, people started to think that there was no need to be tough on crime? Well, the irony of it, in terms of one of the uh, tools used to get crime down, had been arrests, etc. cetera, uh, enforcement of quality of life crime. After the 70s and 80s, we paid no attention to it. Then in the 90s, we began to. And there was a concern that uh, uh, too many people had gone to jail. In California, you had three strikes in your out, and a lot of people went to jail for life for a third uh, seemingly minor crime. So there was this sense that, well, crime was down. Let's try some alternatives. Unfortunately, the criminal justice reform movement is moving too fast uh, with some well-intended ideas that basically, in practicality and reality, are just not working out. Relative to your DAs, George Soros' Open Society has been funding the election of progressive DAs around the country. You've got a number of them, certainly in California. I actually think what's going to happen, most of them were elected during times of relatively low crime. And they were going to put their ideas into a public that had become somewhat complacent. If we have a couple more years like this past year, you're going to see return to the 90s where the public's going to rise up and say, we've had enough, let's get back to some law and order. Yeah, I read your uh, piece in the New York Times over the weekend. Pretty cool. You got featured in the New York Times book review where they ask uh, the authors all the questions. I really enjoyed that. And actually, I've started reading that 1939 that you recommended as one of your favorite books. But you also yeah, talked about... Uh, great, great, great book, The Rise of uh, Nazi Germany. And it yeah. went up to the war, uh, World War II. Yeah, I'm loving it so far. But you also mentioned the book Broken Windows and the influence it had on you. What, what, describe that for anybody who doesn't know what that theory is about. Broken Windows is a theory articulated by uh, George Kelling, great friend and mentor, recently passed, and Jim Wilson passed a number of years ago. Uh, that I'm probably one of the principal uh, implementers of, practitioners of, and adherents to. Broken Windows uh, uh, basically is the idea that if you don't take care of small things like small crimes on the street, that you create an atmosphere of increased lawlessness. For example, the shoplifting you just talked about. If you don't deal with that, that guy's going to come back and just keep coming back. You've got to stop it. It's like a child. If you don't correct behavior in that child, that child's going to get out of control. You don't weed your garden. The garden is going to get out of control and basically destroy even the strongest tree. 
So we practice that, but the challenge is policing is to do it in an appropriate degree. It's like a doctor treating you for an illness. You don't want to be over-treated. And there's a lot of attacks on broken windows now because we felt it was unfairly impactful on minority neighborhoods where so much of the crime and disorder occur, unfortunately. And so I'm a great believer in it. It's community policing. The essence of community policing is partnership with the community to identify what is it the community wants the police to address and how do we address it together. And what's the goal? Prevention. And so community policing in broken windows are one and the same thing. When the community calls you to come in and deal with the, the drunk on the corner, the gang on the corner, the barbecue that's gone out of control, the prostitute, that's broken windows. That's fixing those windows that are creating fear in a neighborhood. Which leads us uh, brilliantly into the next uh, phase of the conversation with Bill Bratton. His book is The Profession, a memoir of community race and the arc of policing in America. Where do we start to heal the distrust and and out-and-out dislike between much of urban black America and our nation's police departments? It can be done. one of the reasons I went to New York, excuse me, to Los Angeles, the primary reason was I believe that in that city that had one of the worst racial situations between police and black community in the nation, a police force that had literally been at war with this black community for 50 years, that the issue of police and race are entwined. You can't separate the two. You're never going to solve the race problem until you solve the issue of police dealing with race issues. And so in L.A., I purposely went there with the belief that uh, if we could fix the problem there, or at least ameliorate it significantly, uh, there would be hope for the rest of the country. And we did it. Uh, by 2009, after seven years, crime was down dramatically. We increased the size of the police force, increased minority representation. And the race issues in the city, uh, that city did not have a significant uh, uh, race, racial disturbance from 2002 to the George Floyd event, the murder of George Floyd. Uh, so there had been a growth of trust between the black community and the LAPD. LA Times editorialized when I left the city in 2009, after we finished implementing the federal consent decree, that finally a corner had been turned on race relations in Los Angeles. So it was quite an accolade. So it can be done, but it requires a lot of hard work. and. Uh, I write about this in the book. There was a community activist, Sweet Alice, down in Watts. And when I was leaving, she said to, to me, Chief, you know why we like you so much? And I said, no, Sweet Alice, why is that? She says, because you see us. You really see us. Uh, and what she was saying was that uh, to basically solve problems, you have to see each other and see each other's perspective about problems. It can be done. It's a lot of hard work. You need patience. Uh, but it can be done. I know we only got about a minute left, but a, a constant refrain from the left is, we have too many people behind bars, build schools, not prisons. I feel like we need to have as many people behind bars as are committing crimes. So that's the correct number. But do we have too many people in jail? We, for a period of time, did put too many people in jail. That A lot of people who went to jail for drug offenses, my own state, New York, Rockefeller gun laws, Rockefeller laws, uh, California, three strikes, you know, a lot of people could be uh, treated for narcotics instead of being in jail. Uh, a lot of people could also, who had committed those broken windows, minor crimes, be sent to alternative types of uh, rehabilitation rather than prison. So did we over-incarcerate? We did. A lesson learned. But you're correct that uh, a lot of people have to be in jail. In New York State, 80% of the people in state prison are there for violent crime. 
So this over-incarceration myth, you don't go to jail for fear evasion or shoplifting in New York. You go to jail for violent crime, and even then it's hard to get you in jail or prison sometimes. So it's a, it's a hashtag that's been driving a lot of public policy and a lot of sentiment, uh, but it was based on some reality, particularly back in the 90s. The book is The Profession, a memoir of community race in the arc of policing in America. Bill Bratton, Chief, hey, it's great to speak with you. Thanks for the time. Good luck with the book. Nice talk. Good luck with the draw out there, guys. Thank you. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I don't want anybody in jail who doesn't need to be in jail. Absolutely. Uh, right. Hardly a worse thing could happen when you when you lean libertarian than have somebody behind bars that doesn't belong there. But it's kind of interesting that we had the lowest crime rate in U.S. history at the time that we uh, were over-jailing people. Um, I don't want to over-jail people, but uh, crime was real low. Right, absolutely. Well, and and this gets back to the Joe Getty uh, principle of societies veering between the guardrails and never realizing when they have it right in the sweet spot. When you feel like we're over-incarcerating people, look, there's no crime. The the urge is to listen to people who want to go way to the other side. And and they are the loudest, most persuasive voices. And those who say, "Look, let's let's move a little carefully. Let's tweak it a little bit. Let's be careful what we do." They're just not nearly as exciting. Yeah. And so it's just really difficult. We're constantly oversteering as a society. Plus, you create a new generation every generation, and the new generation grows up without crime, and they don't understand what's the big deal because they didn't right. they and, didn't they and, didn't live in a time where people get whapped on the head walking down the street. And plus the, the lefty pleas of compassion and healing and the rest of it really appeal to the young heart. Uh, you know, as, as Churchill said, if you're 20 and not a liberal, you have no heart. Um, I thought his stuff on uh, Sweet Alice and You See Us was just a great point and how, you know, the cops have to be in the communities, the communities have to trust the cops, and there's a lot of healing that has to take place, and it's a lot of work. And, you know, I'd also point out that if you defund the police, you're going to cut training, and you're going to cut uh, initiatives like that. A uh, side topic that might run through the show the entire day. Sean, what was the name of the show that you recommended earlier? Justified. Uh, Justified. Somebody just uh, texted in, hey, watch 11-22-63, which I happen to know is the date uh, Kennedy was shot, but I don't know that show. Uh, what What's your hot show right now? A lot of us have gone through all the good shows. <laughs> or we feel like we've gone through all the good shows. What are the good shows we haven't seen yet? Our text line, 415 415- 295-KFTC. we got to talk about the summit. I know we got a lot of reaction to the John Stewart on Stephen Colbert from the other night. Oh, yeah. Which was really yeah. good. And um, really revealing. So all that stuff on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If you look at the name, look at the name. Can I, let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh, I work at the coronavirus lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. John Stewart mocking the idea that it didn't escape from the lab, much to the uh, the, 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 the unhappiness of Stephen Colbert. 
on late night the other night. Yeah, the, the consternation of Stephen Colbert. By the way, for those of you who don't remember fifth grade science, the cloaca is the anus of, of an animal. I didn't know that. That makes it funnier. That makes yeah, it funnier. I was afraid everybody was missing that. I didn't know just, what that was. Yeah. Uh, just maybe gross. a pangolin kissed a turtle. <laughs> so good. Well, I've been uh, scanning the... <laughs> The media world uh, for reactions to that appearance, and sure enough, there it is. Uh, much of it very annoying, some of it uh, somewhat encouraging. Uh, Forbes, the highly anticipated return of Stephen Colbert's The Late Show, blah, blah, blah. John Stewart appeared to strongly push the theory that the COVID-19 originated from a lab in Wuhan, China. One of the possibilities currently being investigated by U.S. intelligence, leading to pushback from some scientists. And then in the lazy, stupid, it's all about conflict style of uh, current journalism, they quote some chick who's allegedly a science, a scientist and a, a talk show host as well, uh, which immediately makes their opinion suspect, oh, yeah. if not void. Um, no kidding. <laughs> talk uh, show host, get out of here. At the end of the segment, uh, Stewart appeared to couch his comments a little bit by speaking directly to the camera and stating, I've been alone so long. <laughs> And when I realized the laboratory would have the same name of the evil that's been plaguing us, I thought to myself, that's effed up. But he continued to push the idea that scientists don't know when to quit. American neurophysiologist and radio host Dr. Kiki Sanford tweeted, quote, I saw the clip and am concerned to see Stuart promoting the conspiracy, even if what? it's just for laughs. Wow. It is at the expense of people who know a lot about this kind of thing, working really hard to figure out where this virus did come from. The well-it-must-be narrative isn't science. Others reacted uh, online that Stuart's segment was both disappointing and tragic. You know, we ought to have a national coming together as a people in which, you know, and I'm happy to do the job, uh, we explain the lab leak theory is not that China built a super virus for the purpose of attacking America. It's that an experimental lab was sloppy and an enhanced virus they were working on got out. Can we just all understand that? Now, then we can move on to the discussion. The Forbes article then does the usual, uh, well, it was thoroughly discredited by many scientists, which is why we reported that it was stupid. Eh, but now the Biden administration says it's okay to look into it. So we are. I mean, it's just so sad. But this from Mike Rowe. He says via the Facebook, this is the greatest video I've seen in 15 months. It's great. Oh, the John Stewart interview. Um, it's great, not just because it's funny, but because it reunites comedy with courage. For those of you who were shouted down last year for daring to suggest that the Wuhan coronavirus probably came from a laboratory in Wuhan called the Wuhan Coronavirus Lab, this is your vindication. And for those of you wondering where all the comedians went, I'm happy to report that one has returned. John Stewart has broken through with a rant that can't be ignored. Enjoy every word. And note, too, the cognitive dissonance that washes over Stephen Colbert as his old friend reminds his audience, by way of example, that comedy is simply not possible when comedians are scared of being canceled or committed to enforcing the norms rather than challenging them it is quite simply the most hopeful thing i've seen in ages you know that's an interesting point there are a lot of comedians that feel like they're the modern day lenny bruce when they're going on stage and saying what is the agreed version of things by anybody that would criticize them i mean the entire media agrees with what they're saying so it's not quite as brave as it's 
We have the government. We have the media. We have the colleges. We have the schools. And we are the resistance. Ah, pardon me? (laughs) And listen to my brave, brave comedy. (laughs) Beating up on middle America and their stupid, stupid conspiracy theories. Oh, what's that? Uh, The genetic sequence, what? Proof that it was altered, really? Uh, Biden administration says it's the most likely possibility. What now? So Biden and Putin are meeting. They did their handshake, walked in the room. There were some pictures, some statements, and now a four or five hour meeting. We've got more on that. Joe, pay attention. Uh, That's uh, Dr. Jill Biden uh, employing her husband to pay attention. Lady, lady, lady. So Biden made said a couple of things, and the the Russian media was like super loud, and you couldn't hear Biden talk. And then there was some, well, me wondering, did they do that on purpose? I mean, I I think the Putin, the 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 Russian media does whatever Putin wants them to do. But so this out a mediaite press scrum at Biden Putin summit descends into chaos after shoving match. And physical encounters with security. So apparently that was even a little uh, wilder than I, I had heard from the from the audio. Yeah, I wonder what went on. I don't what know. What the heck happened? Yeah. Who was hassling whom? So we got more on that. Also, body language segment, as every pundit in the world becomes an expert on body language. And it's pretty funny, among other things on the way. Armstrong and Getty.